Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. I'm Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles, recording out of Awesome Inc. as usual. Um, some some big news this week, um, some big tech news. TikTok is uh, about to be taken over or we banned yeah. or acquired by a U.S. Who company. Who knows what's going to happen? Still pretty up in the air, but uh, a pretty crazy precedent uh, nonetheless. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Evan? <laughs> um, I think that uh, Microsoft's going to end up buying them. I think Microsoft wants to get into the social media game. Uh, they seem to be out in front. So we'll see. I just think it's amazing that Donald Trump is able to have this kind of power right now to just take a yeah. foreign company and basically claim it or say we're going to ban it. And basically now he's deciding who gets it, which is just yeah. Un- I, I raised this. I raised this question about it just seems kind of, you know, people are talking out of both sides of their mouth. Like one time they're talking about censorship is bad and we don't want the government interfering with this kind of thing. And then on the other side, when it becomes a, a privacy issue, uh, they're all for this, like Donald Trump exercising this, uh, this executive order that he's talking about doing. Uh, I don't really know. I, well, no, I do know how I feel about it. I think that there are breaches in privacy and it, something does need to be done. So I think this is the right thing, especially since China has been doing it to us and allowing their companies to steal our intellectual property and make spinoffs of identical apps to what we use here in the U.S., uh, which I think is pretty crazy in itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk um, a lot of trash about China, and uh, we criticize them, which we should. Uh, but in reality, you know, our we do a lot of the same things over mm-hmm. here. You know, we're yeah. definitely way more open as far as the Internet goes, but, you know, our companies like Google and Amazon all work with our government too, Um so it's definitely something to be scared of, but you know when there's two competing world powers, you know things like this are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Uh, it'll be interesting to see that if we do take over, you know TikTok, somebody if somebody does, uh, how China's going to respond. Yeah, um, you know they're already doing really shady things. Uh, we've already banned, you know uh, Huawei, uh, yeah. the the hardware company. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done this before, um, and you know. There's always retaliation. So we'll I guess see what that's happens. true. Yeah, I guess that's true. This is not the first time this has happened, but this is definitely the most. It'll affect the most people because there's so many users on TikTok already. And I think it's, it's like 90 million. Yeah, it's a crazy, um, crazy thing. And then Facebook just launched their competitor. Perfect timing. Facebook knew what they were doing. Is that Reels? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. They. Um, I no, knew they would. Is that, is that on Instagram? Through uh, Instagram? It's on, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it was very obvious they were going to do it. Um, I mean they do it. If, if they don't acquire a company, they're going to kill it um, through building a copycat. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, perfect timing for them. They're going to they're gonna get that audience. Yeah. So uh, to get to this episode, um, this episode is an older episode, not super old, still COVID era, which has seemed to be lasting a lifetime now. Um, but we did a live event where people could tune in through Zoom. Um, and we sat down with Randall Stevens, who is the founder of Base 110 and Avail, uh, to talk about why now, um, and by now I mean this time of uncertainty and uh, this COVID-19 pandemic, why now is a great time to start a company and be entrepreneurial. Um, and I know this was something that Evan was kind of saying right from the onset. You, you were a proponent of this idea of, you know, now is a time with a lot of uncertainty, so now is a time to go out and take those risks and um, kind of experiment. So. Yeah. I mean, innovation gains, like we've been saying this, innovation gains yeah. um, market share in uncertainty and, and downturns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now, I mean, I did. I mean, I started a company during this time, building it right now. Um, and then, yeah, Randall, this is an awesome episode for, for people listening that are considering starting a company or would one day like to. 
uh, Randall Stevens is somebody that, you know, I've gotten to personally work with closely um, and, you know, learn from. He's probably one of Lexington's most experienced, talented entrepreneurs. So he's somebody that, you know, just spews wisdom uh, and it's great to listen to him talk. So, um, you know, for those listening that um, you know, might be considering starting a company, this is this is a great episode. Yeah, Especially well, young students. You know, a lot of young students have graduated um, and were expecting internships or mm-hmm, expecting mm-hmm, for sure jobs. Then that just disappeared. And so really... You know, instead of, you know, either, you know, doing nothing or just applying to jobs that, you know, right now are, are hard to get, maybe consider starting a company. Yeah. Um, it's a great time for well, it. Well, I think even more than starting a company, because a lot of people, uh, maybe if you're self-aware enough, you realize that you're just not cut out for that or whatever other reason, um, maybe you just not the right time in your life. I would still encourage you to think about how to be, uh, act entrepreneurially in your jobs. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can implement these principles of entrepreneurship into your everyday life, whether you're uh, in a job or an internship and things have kind of gone stagnant and there's not as much responsibility for you to take on. Think about ways to take initiative and and operate in this uncertainty is something that I would say to let that apply to your life. Don't just think I'm not an entrepreneur. I can't be entrepreneurial. Um, Find different ways because that's, that's definitely a thing you can do. Um, But yeah, this was an episode we really enjoyed hosting. Um, We're looking forward to doing more episodes like this. So we hope you guys enjoy. to do is kind of set the foundation first and foremost of what's going on in the world right now. Um, it's a very difficult time. You know, it's something that um, is unfortunate. Uh, but the great thing about entrepreneurs is they take what's given to them and they turn, um, you know, lemons into lemonade. And that's what this time is all about. So we want to use this time, use this interview with Randall to really inspire people who are, might be graduating and are dealt a tough hand. You know, right now is not the best time to be graduating. It's probably one of the worst times in history to graduate. Uh, A lot of people are going to be confused and scared. Uh, But what we want to do is, again, empower you guys, make you feel like this is the right time to be graduating. Uh, Take a different perspective on it. So just hit the groundworks. Uh, Right now, you know, there's about 200 uh, or two, uh, 20.5 million jobs have been lost. Uh, That was April alone. Unemployment's at 14%. Uh, the numbers are getting worse, and they're the worst since you know the Great Depression. Um, so as I said, it's not a good time right now uh, for the job market. So Randall, first thing I want to do is ask, um, you know, from your perspective, what are you seeing going on in the market, um, and how do you view this, given you've had a lot of industry experience over years and years in the in the startup space? Yep. Thanks. Uh, first, thanks for having me. <clears throat> um, well, it's unprecedented, right? Uh, nobody, it's never happened before at the scale that what's going on today. So I don't think there's a playbook, um, uh, you know, to see this rapid, a, you know, basically the government shutting down all businesses (laughs) all at once. It's just never happened before. Uh, You know, I'd say if you're a student and there's any, you know, it's, it's maybe a good time to stay in school. (laughs) If there's more schooling, right. There's, you know, you can pile that on uh, if there's not going to be a good job market. Um. Otherwise, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, just because things um, have come to a halt doesn't mean everything stops. Then businesses are still going to be operating. It's just not going to be a, um, 
a frothy job market like it you know was two months ago even right um so uh you know i think the uh the challenges then are to you know like anytime see if there's i will say this there's probably also businesses that are you know they're thrive you know if you look back at the last recession there was a lot of companies that were started uh right that came during that time whether or not it was you know related to the recession or just the timing right there's obviously lots of things that are being started around at any given time um but a lot of the big standouts right that uh, that are that have been the big growth companies over the last 10 years primarily in tech i'm a i didn't give the intro i'm a i'm a software guy so i've been um, I mainly follow tech businesses and kind of what's going on on that side of things. But, um, a lot of the, you know, out outliers over the last 10 years, the, you know, Ubers and Lyfts and, um, uh, Airbnb, yeah. right. Uh, all of those didn't exist 10 years ago, right. They kind of all got started about, about this time and about these kind of conditions. Right. So it's not like you can't uh, get things going and, you know, I, you mentioned earlier that I, I do teach an entrepreneurship class at the University of Kentucky and um, my it's it's an undergraduate class, mainly business and engineering students that I have as cohorts uh, every spring. I've been doing it. I think I just finished my sixth sixth spring that I've taught that class. Uh, but I've, I always give a kind of first day lecture and I call it getting uncomfortable. <laughs> get uncomfortable, right? And uh, because really when you look at startups and anything that's new and innovative, you know, it's not, there's no roadmap for it, right? It, the definition of new is is new, right? Somebody, it, it's, it's a lot of times different and you have to be, um, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, so I actually, uh, after all this hit and the students didn't come back, you know, to physically to class after spring break, I was doing Zoom, you know, classes like every other school. And um, I did a lecture, uh, you know, about a month ago that was uh, titled, Now Everyone's Uncomfortable, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, what do you, you know, everything we've been talking about, you know, you, you might think that you're going to be, you know, I like, I like to talk with the students at least that it's entrepreneurial, uh, not, not necessarily that you're going to start a business or that that's the goal, but you've got to be an entrepreneurial thinker and a lot of entrepreneurial thinking is about being agile, right? That'd be the kind of words I would use and, and comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's like, Hey, when there's no roadmap, you got to be okay with that. There's no roadmap and that you're going to try things and they're not going to work sometimes. And, uh, you know, that's all I think part of being, uh, you know, being agile and being entrepreneurial in your thinking and then at some point you've done that enough that you just get comfortable. That it's like, Oh, just because it didn't work, didn't mean it was going to kill me. Right. So yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Yep. And you touched on a lot that we'll dig into more as this conversation goes on. Let's start with where you started, you know, after you graduated and even while you're in college, you were building companies, um, you know, ArcVision and the um, hardware and the software you're building at the time uh, was really special. And you, you never got a job like Eric said earlier, you know, out of college, um, at that time in your life, how would you describe, you know, your mindset and why it was different for you than many of your um, other classmates that got a job? You know, what was different about you? 
uh, I'm a weirdo, right? <laughs> uh, they're probably, you know, I've, I've tried to backcast and try to figure out like, okay, what is it that made, you know, I was probably, and I have, because I started teaching some of this stuff, I, I do try to be kind of reflective on it and try to figure out like, okay, cause I have been entrepreneurial at least my entire life. Uh, I like to jokingly say the same. It's like, I've never had a job, but I've worked plenty. It's like yeah, <laughs> tons yeah. of work, but never for somebody else, never had a job. Um, I think, uh, you know, I was always, I was always one of those people that would take advantage, you know, I would always step forward, right? If there was something going on and they would ask for a volunteer, I was probably that little scrawny kid that would, you know, piss everybody off because I was always raising my hand and want, you know, so I was always that kind of a person. Um, and you know, um, I know you uh, made some notes and we're going to ask about the Nassim Taleb and some of those books that he's written. And it's like, yep. I use some of his quotes in my class all the time. And it's like, he has this quote about entrepreneurs that, or that just opportunities, you know, he says opportunities are rare, they're fleeting. And when you, when you're presented with one, you should take advantage of it, right? Because they don't happen that often. So you're either one of those personalities that you're either, you know, it's, you make your own luck. You know, you hear all these kind of sayings and cliches that people say, but it's kind of that or you, at some point you got to be that personality that like put yourself out there. And that gets back into this, like being entrepreneurial is being, I tell my students, it's like, it's being naked. You got to be comfortable with like being exposed. It's like, you're putting yourself out there and you don't know necessarily what's going to happen. And you got to find some comfort in that. So anyway, we can, yeah. And and you teach entrepreneurship, and there's this question out, you know, can can entrepreneurship be learned over time, or is it something somebody's bo born with? You know, for somebody that's graduating right now and they never even maybe considered entrepreneurship or thought about it or really learned about it, what do you say to them? You know, can it be learned? Yeah, uh, I I don't think if you were going to really put my feet to the fire and say, are you born an entrepreneur or can you grow into one? I think it's because of some of the personality traits you're probably either born into it or probably early in life in those situations. There's, there's, these, there's some really interesting, if you, if you follow Steve Blank at all, uh, who's kind of a, I'll call him the kind of godfather of the new era of thinking about early stage companies and how to think about doing some of this stuff. I've seen Steve, uh, you know, posit that, you know, there's a weird kind of trend that people can't, that come from dysfunctional homes. A lot of entrepreneurs, right, are, came from situations where they were like maybe dysfunctional home. And if you peel that back, what it is, is probably this idea that you're not comfortable. Like maybe you were in an environment early on that wasn't very stable. So all of a sudden, you know, and you hear this, if you go talk to people who are like foster parents, things like that. I had a, a, a guy that I did some work back in the nineties. It was an attorney, very successful attorney and wife got in uh, for foster parents. And then they got into actually teaching other parents, counseling parents, how to be foster parents. Anyway, they had adopted this, this young man who was, I think he was maybe 11 or 12 years old, which is why I think age probably has something to do with it. And he had, probably been in and out of foster care is, you know, most of his life and all those types of things. And you would think that, uh, you know, being basically, and they adopted him, he was in their foster care and they, I think they were trying to adopt him, but it's like, 
here you've got this, you know, you would think that that's the best situation in the world. You're a kid that's had all this bad luck, didn't have much of a family, we're getting tossed around. All of a sudden you land in what you would think is probably, you know, it's a rich person's house, right? This attorney and all the benefits that would come with all of that, you know, uh, personalities aside, right? Assuming that this is a great situation. And the kid, you know, would steal the car and, you know, go do all this other stuff. And when I was talking to him about it, he was, he said, you know, it took him a while to understand it, but it was all about trust and instability and that the kid had grown up not trusting anybody, right? It's like, just because you're here today doesn't mean you're going to be here tomorrow. I'm on my own. I'm doing right all this. So I think that there's these, you know, so now you can imagine that kid probably has skills and traits that I wouldn't have. I grew up in a fairly normal, you know, middle, middle class kind of upbringing, but I think that that um, instability maybe trait or uh, I think Steve Blank might be, you know, there is, there is a thread of why that would make sense. Like, okay, I've, I've never counted on anything. I've always been on my own and maybe those make great entrepreneurs. Right. And, and they probably were in that situation early in life, not right. It's like some situation be in their twenties or something. Right. So from that standpoint, you're not born that way, but probably your early life conditioned you that way um, would be the way I would probably think about that. But, yeah. yeah. You talked a little bit there. You talked a lot actually about uncertainty and how, no, I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. You talked about the uncertainty and how entrepreneurs are thriving and that uncertainty. And that's what we're all experiencing right now. And, you know, Evan and I have, have had this conversation a couple of different times now about how this is one of the best times to go out and start a company. Because when you think about it in normal conditions, when we had this great job market, it was more of a risk to go and do your own thing because you had all these other great options. Whereas now you look out at the, out at the economy and it's hard to find anything other than entrepreneurship to do. Um, but I think what holds a lot of people back is that fear of failure. And I'm sure that's something you faced a lot in your journey in building some of your companies. So touch on how you overcome that fear of failure as you're, as you're stepping out and starting your first few companies. Yeah. So there's, so I'm, I'm a big believer in that the only time you go personally, professionally is when you're back to the wall. It's like I can, I've now, I'm 52 years old. So I've got 30 years professional. I'm coming up on 30 years of being out doing this stuff. And it's like, even all the way back to when I was in school. So maybe just a little bit of back. back so I came, I grew up in Kentucky. I grew up in Pikeville in Eastern Kentucky, came to UK 1985 and um, was, you know, a part of the reason that I got into what I'm into is I now say I was born at the right time. So I got into computers when I was, you know, basically in high school. So I was at the right age for that to be new. The new hot thing was personal computers. So when I came to UK, I thought as a freshman in 85, I thought I was going to be, I was already like programming and doing software just on personal computers at home. So that's what I came to school thinking that I was going to do. Unfortunately, back then there was, there was no computer science department. <laughs> this is how old I am. It was, so they put you in electrical engineering, which was, is way different, right? If you've ever, you, they put you in that first circuits class and I'm like, this isn't what I'm, you know, I just lost interest. So, Good news, 
for me was I, I was really always, always thought I was going to be an architect. So I ended up switching from engineering school to architecture school my junior year. So by the time I was a sophomore, I figured out, hey, where they've got me is not, this isn't going to work. And I wasn't going to put the time in to make it work. And, uh, but I was, I took a shot at uh, applying and got into the architecture school, which at that time was a five-year program, professional degree program with 10 semesters of studio. So I started my junior year into a five-year you know, undergraduate program. So I ended up spending six years in school getting all that done. Um, but it was a, uh, uh, you know, what I ended up doing it while I was in architecture school was gravitated to the computer lab that they had, which was like four computers in a room on the third floor that nobody knew what to do with this stuff. And basically began teaching myself the software around doing architectural design work and 3D graphics. So I, when I graduated in 91, I, I started a company called ArcVision and it was basically a services company doing, you know, what I would call high-end 3D graphics work because nobody knew how to do it. Um, so one, you know, one of the things, you know, as you guys are kind of prepping about what talk about, like the, the reason that I could start that company was I built a skill. It wasn't because I went to UK and got an architecture degree. I just, I did that and got it. But I, I saw this opportunity because while I was a student, I started getting people would call looking for somebody that could do what I knew how to do. And they hire me and I would get paid to do it. I mean, I had no idea. It's like, I mean, that's the definition of being in businesses. A customer has a need. You've got something that they want. And there's an exchange of money for that. I had no idea what to charge people for it. I just knew how I'd self-taught myself how to use the software and this kind of work. So I naively, I think, kind of just said, well, I'll just start a business doing this. I was probably already kind of that mindset, but it was a services business, you know, and I spent a couple of years hard knocks, you know, just trying to figure out how to do it. But it was basically, but I think it's important there you know, I spent a ton of time, not because of a class that I took at UK, I took advantage of that there was equipment and software there that nobody else was up in that lab. I was up there every night and every weekend and every available hour that I could on my own, taking advantage and teaching, you know, teaching myself. And I can remember one spring break, right, as I was getting ready to get out of, you know, about to graduate. So it was probably the summer of 90 or something like that. Everybody else had gone, you know, to the beach or whatever for spring break. Other people, you know, I was always working and, uh, but I was in that lab and I actually spent like probably north of a hundred hours that week uh, entering a, uh, there was a competition, a national competition for this 3D graphics. I, took projects that I was working and spent that entire spring break week on campus up in that lab, like getting all this stuff in the computer and entered it into this contest. And I ended up winning runner second place in this national contest. And the, the, the prize was software. <laughs> so I won this software that was like a few thousand bucks, right? Worth of software. And I was like, well, all I gotta do now is buy a computer to run this on and I can be in business. So that was kind of the start of, of, you know, arc vision. I think the takeaway of that was I invested in myself 
the time it took to learn a skill. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't my degree. It wasn't like I was going to go out and get a job magically because I had an architecture degree then. It was because I knew how to use that damn software and do some very specific things that people, nobody else, you know, not literally, but nobody else knew how to do. And it's like, okay, I'm the guy that can now do that. So that set me up, I think, to be like, okay, I can start a business. I just now have to figure out who out there needs this because I've got this skill that's marketable. And I had to figure out how to go sell it. And then I grew, you know, I think at our peak, we had 15 or 16 employees doing this kind of services work. Um, so anyway. Yeah. And <clears throat> now that's, that's a, that's an awesome story. That backstory is super important. And, you know, to point out, you know, you did that under your own initiative and every entrepreneur has to do it under their own initiative. But I think right now is a unique time because there's a different sense of urgency and maybe even a sense of, I have no other option, you know, necessity, necessity, you know, is a great way entrepreneurs are born as well. Um, and you built the skill, you grew your mental muscles, you built resourcefulness during that time. And I wanted to just say a few things to hopefully, you know, empower and make people realize what time they're graduating in right now. Um, and then that'll lead into the next question, which is, you know, anti-fragile, you know, doing things during tough times. Um, so everybody is getting knocked back a step. Every business is, you know, slowing down a bit with the, with the exception of a few, um, but even those are having to change drastically. So everybody's getting slowed down a bit or completely stopping. New problems are being exposed every day in all kinds of industries. The world has quickly shifted to digitalization. Um, and those graduating were born in this age of smartphones and they know how to use this amazing um, digital technology. Um, the other people that have graduated before you that are graduating right now, they had the luxury of graduating and getting a job. Um, and in my opinion, right now is a unique time to graduate because you don't have that luxury and you can actually use that to your advantage, you know, to look at the situation and say, I'm really going to flex you know, my mental muscles. I'm really going to develop a skill like Randall did. I'm going to use this time to be resourceful. And I think that's going to be this graduating class's advantage. And if you view the world in a very long-term perspective and you develop this skill now, right when you graduate, most people, like I said, graduate and go straight into a safe job. You're graduating and going straight into uncertainty. So you're immediately, if you're graduating now, preparing yourself for uncertainty for the rest of your life. And if you view it in a long-term perspective, that can be your superpower. That's what needs to be on the forefront of your all's mind is that you know this is giving you guys special perspective earlier in your life than most people get it. Um, Randall, when I first started working with you at Avail, you had suggested I read a book. Um, it was sitting on your desk and I think I might've asked about it or, you know, we talk about all kinds of entrepreneurial things when we're around each other. And it was the book called Anti-Fragile. And the whole crux of that book is, you know, to so set yourself up to where you're being nimble, you're being agile, you're having small failures and if you set yourself up to have, you know, uncomfortable moments and you're used to that, then the longer you do that, the more successful you'll be, the more you'll be able to deal with down times. Um, and we're in the middle of that. Um, so talk about that book and why that's relevant now, because uh, I know that's something that you really enjoy talking about. Yeah, it was one of those uh, it was one of those books and when I first read it. That was the first Nassim Taleb book that I read. He's the author. He's, a, I think, Lebanese born, 
but he was a quant on Wall Street, and now he's more of a philosopher. I think he would consider himself. Uh, but he wrote he he got he was he became famous. He wrote a book called The Black Swan, which maybe you've seen or heard. Uh, not the movie. People confuse it with that uh, ballerina movie. I, I, yeah, it's not that. It's a it's about uh, these um, basically risk reward failure ways to think you know to look at the world and think about this kind of stuff and so anyway i read that i read maybe as it was probably his third or fourth book it's called anti-fragile and then after i read that one it kind of spun my world you know it was one of those books it's like oh wow i never <laughs> he, he gave you a whole new way to think about looking at the world and then i kind of went back and started consuming his other books but a lot of it i think what i liked about what he talks about uh like in the anti-fragile is it, the book, the book was named anti-fragile because he was trying to figure out, right. Everybody knows the word fragile means weak or, you know, it's going to uh, break under pressure. Yeah, it's going to break under pressure. Right. And so he was interested in the concept of the opposite of that, which is what do you, what do you, you know, if you, if you break under pressure, when, what does it mean to become stronger under pressure? Right. And we actually see that. And he would talk about that. There's actually systems that are like that. So like your body is a good example. And he would use like lifting weights as an example. You, uh, you know, if you're going to strengthen your body, you can lift weights, right. And to do that, you don't stress your body to the breaking point. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to crush yourself, yourself or break yeah. something, but if you put your body under stress over periods of time, it actually gets stronger, not weaker. And um, so the, apparently, you know, according to Taleb, there's no, there's no uh, word in any language that he could find anywhere in the world that was a word that meant the opposite of fragile. So he said anti-fragile because there isn't a really a word that means strengthening under pressure. But as he would describe you know, systems like nature, that you see a lot of these things in nature that get stronger. I mean, even, you know, when you think about forest fires and what happens in a forest, right? It's like, sometimes it takes this pressure that happens to, to like say the burning of a forest and it actually causes those systems to get stronger over time and they come back stronger than they were. Uh, bodies, you see that thing, but then he would then start to compare systems that we set up as humans, like banking system, the medical system or, you know, other kinds of systems that we create that are actually the opposite of that are very fragile. They tend to hide vulnerabilities and uh, they tend to weaken when they are under great pressure. So his whole thing is about how do we think about being the opposite of that? How do you create systems? How do you, how do you act in ways that make you come out ahead of time ahead of every, everything when you're under pressure as opposed to crumbling when you're under pressure. So just a lot of really interesting things. And he would tie it into, you know, health, um, health and just how you, how you become a healthy person and then ties it into religion and the way religious practices throughout time have tended to put things in place that try to make people, you know, strengthen, you know, one of the things I remember, I can't remember if it was in that book or one of his others was like this whole idea of like, maybe your body bonds more to how you eat than what you eat. 
which is like most people just think about, it's like, well, don't eat that, don't eat that, and don't eat that. Well, now with all the, uh, you know, what's in vogue, uh, now the um, intermittent fasting, which I've actually kind of practiced my adult life just by accident. Uh, but this idea of when you eat, not what you eat, maybe makes more of an impact than what you eat. Those kinds of thinking, I always just love kind of being introduced to it because it's like kind of turns you, you know, Peter Thiel, on the entrepreneurial he's another one of those that's like okay i'm gonna spin that kind of conventional wisdom on its head and get kind of challenge that that kind of thinking so i've always been i've always gravitated to those kinds of thinkers i like to i always like to be the contrarian not because i want to be contrary because i think you know kind of poking these ideas from different directions either strengthens the initial idea or exposes the vulnerabilities in it. And I try to do that, right? When I'm practicing building a business, it's like the, the, the and this is where I think I got the architecture back. The design process is very much this idea of taking nascent ideas from very early in the process through, you know, fulfillment, right? You can think about that as the way a building gets designed, but it's also the way businesses get built. And, you know, you can kind of build these, use these processes to try to improve and, and, and create, you know, hopefully something that's strong and lasting. Yeah. So Randall, you, you dove in and told a little bit about your story and how you stepped into entrepreneurship. That was obviously a different time, but I'm sure there are some, some similarities to how you would go about doing that today. If you were one of these students and you're, you're seeing all this uncertainty in front of you and you have this entrepreneurial mindset, what are some of the first things you would do to take those first couple of steps into entrepreneurship and kind of get your toes wet with it? What would you be doing these days? Yeah. You know, I mean, I can you always hate to like, you know, the only thing I know is what I did. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, but right, and, right. and then I'm always trying to be careful. Like, well, that's not necessarily the formula for everybody, but it is, it, you know, it is a way that I've kind of shown. And, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, when you said it uh, a second ago, Evan, I, I use the word superpower. It's like, I think you got to develop, there's got to be something that you that you are or that you're doing that is if you're not the best in the world at it you're moving in that direction right because that's going to separate you from everybody else and that can be you know there's infinite you know of what that is you know for me like that story of me learning software and you know the reason that i would invest so much time and energy was because i love doing it i was infatuated with it so i was investing you know, I use the word investing in myself, investing all of my time in understanding it. And there just weren't very many people that either, you know, I was lucky enough to have the resources available to me to, to do that. But I took advantage of those resources too. That I didn't, you know, it wasn't a class that I was getting a grade for. I had to get my ass up and go, you know, go up there in my time in the lab doing and learning those things and was self motivated from that standpoint. And it really, I think, taught me that nobody's going to do that for you. You've, that's got to come from within. So you've got to be willing and ready to spend the time it takes to get into that position. So I'll give another, I don't know if any of you have been watching uh, The Last Dance. Have you seen the ESPN series? Oh, on yeah. Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the, my biggest takeaway so far, and I'm going to pull it out and use it in my class, uh, assuming that I continue teaching that class, um, Dennis Rodman talking about 
being the best defensive player in the world and like studying film. Like think about this. It's like everybody thinks that the star is the person with the basketball and shooting and making all the points and all that stuff. He figured out like, I'm going to be the best defensive player in the world. And he studied like incessantly spent all his time like studying film to watch, you know, he, in his words, watching how the bat, this person makes shots and 60% of the time the ball bounces in this way off. So I'm going to now position myself to be there where 60% of the time the ball goes. It's like, holy crap. It's like he became like obsessed at that and became, you know, probably the best defensive basketball player that the NBA has ever seen, right? So to me, that's like, that's the example of like, he wasn't born with that superpower. He invested in that, right? He spent the time. He thought about it. He saw it as an opportunity of where he could be a standout. And then he began investing in it, right? And it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was probably over, you know, I'd have to go back and the, the one bad thing about that documentary, keep jumping. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. the chronology is like, it goes back and forth. Uh, but, um, but anyway, I think that's a great example of like, look, he set his eyes on it he figured out how that was going to make him a star where nobody else was in that void. Right. Nobody else was thinking like maybe along those lines. Um, so I think that my, I guess the advice would be everybody's good at something, right? Everybody's got, you know, they're better at something than your peers around you to some degree. Everybody's got something that makes them special. Right. So you can think about it in that way. The problem that you got is if you're this much better at it than everybody else, you got a lot of competition. The trick is, is how do you get this much better at it or this much better or this much better at it and be a standout. And that could either be because you were forced to or born with a deficit in one area or not that made you compensate in the other area to be better at it. Or you just, you know, forced yourself to invest, 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 invest. And, and, you know, the, I think the trick there for, you know, somebody that now wants to, to go out and be successful at this is it doesn't, you know, it's easy to tell these stories in hindsight after you worked your ass off for a long time doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. The vic the victory belongs to those that stuck in there and got through where, where there's no clear picture about where you're going or why am I doing this? And if I keep doing it, only if you can get over those humps and get there and you start to become that standout and then you got to go find a market, right? It's like, okay, this is what I'm really good at. Now I got to figure out, I got to match make with who out there needs what I'm really good at. And then that's when, that's when you can sell your goods or services, right? It's totally. And what, what you kept mentioning was, <clears throat> superpower, find a strength. And I, I always tell my friends who might be in a stage in their life where they don't know what they're good at. And people might be graduating. They went through this whole degree, four years. They took all these classes. They're told what to learn. And then they graduate and then they don't have this job waiting. I imagine a lot of people are questioning themselves, you know, questioning what am I really good at? I just spent four years learning this thing and it's not here. Um, and, you know, the self-awareness is is not necessarily there. They don't know what their strengths are at the moment. And I try to push my friends towards uh, the strengths finders test. Um, I took that my freshman year 
And I like to think that was one of the most important things I did in college. <laughs> I, I might not have finished college, but like that part of college was so important for me because that's actually what allowed me not to finish. Like, because I figured out what I enjoyed and then I coupled that with that StrengthsFinders test and knew what I'd be good at. And it's along the lines of actually what I do all the time, which is talk about and just share ideas and sell things and just communicate and connect people. I feel like that's what I'm good at. And I learned that early. And whenever somebody is in a state of, I'm not sure what I'm good at, I try to push them towards a strength finders test, at least as a way to start that exploration for themselves. Um, yeah, so I, you were, you're, you're already though, one of the, you're already an outlier, even when you look at like your middle tech podcast, right? It's like, you know, how many people start a blog? How many people start a podcast? Well, how many people, the episodes have you done with them? Uh, we're about to do our hundredth here soon. There you go. Yep. So how many people get to do a hundred, right? And you have to do the first one, you know, thinking that, assuming that nobody's listening, right? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, how do I, do I have the fortitude to keep doing this? And then eventually, right, you're going to have a million people listening to your podcast every week and everybody's going to be like, oh, he's so lucky. Well, it's like, well, shit, I just did a thousand of these. Right. And I got good at it and I built an audience and I've, you know, it's like, look at Joe Rogan and people that have, you know, um, you know, they have invested in, you know, it didn't just happen overnight. It happens over usually a long period of time. Yeah, a, I used to say, uh, when I was running ArcVision, I used to say ArcVision is going to be an overnight, a 15 year overnight success story. <laughs> it's like, by the time everybody knows about it, what they don't know was all the work that it took right to get there. It's like at the point when you've got notoriety or success and a lot of people know about you, right. It's new to them, but that didn't mean that it just started or it just happened. It was like, no, this was a, this took a lot of time and energy to build up over time. So I think, you know, I think for a student or anybody, um, you know, that, that is out now trying to figure out where, where they're going to go. One, I think a really good lesson is, never be in the position where you're relying on somebody else, right? It's like always be in the position to be like, look, this is, I'm, I'm going to be evergreen and it's me. And just because you graduated and you think that that degree is going to get you a job, I wouldn't have that attitude. I'd be like, I got to go, I either got to go get it. <laughs> I'm going to go get that. I've got to go sell it. Nobody's just going to come and get you right. That, those especially in this kind of time, right? You got to get out there now and fight for it. And it could be that you're now saying, well, it's not a very good job market and nobody's hiring. So now what am I going to do? Well, now I got to create my own, right? Um, totally. Own value, right? And so yeah. That's what we're trying to inspire here. I would, I just want to share kind of a personal story here of that I would like people to take away because a lot of people might be listening and thinking, okay, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not a born entrepreneur. How can I, how can I become an entrepreneur? How I don't have an idea that I want to pursue. I don't know what I like. Um, I just want to share a personal story of how I even got to where I am. Not that I'm some big success or anything, but I got, I kind of got to where I am not through my degree or anything. And my advice would be to go out and get involved. And like you said, Randall, say yes to a lot of things. You know, it started off, I would say an inflection point in my life was starting here at Awesome Inc. And I wasn't doing the most glamorous jobs at Awesome Inc., but I would say yes to every single thing they, they asked me to do. And, you know, yeah, I showed up. I showed up and I would do things. I got my face around the right people. Eventually, I got my face around Evan enough. And then that led to joining the Middle Tech Podcast. He asked me if anybody was around, if, if I'd be interested in helping. And again, I said yes. 
I didn't know how I was going to help. I didn't know what I was going to be great at, um, but started off just designing content. I think it's important uh, that you didn't know what you were going to get from it, but you knew yeah, exactly input before expecting output, right? Exactly. So it's like, you got to put, put in the input. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to predict where it goes. I had, I certainly had no intention of becoming a co-host of the show, but you know, here I am and I've gotten to meet all these incredible people in Lexington. And as a result of that, now I'm arriving at my next opportunity where I've just started at a startup in Lexington called Lead Rilla, just because I met the founder through doing this. And, you know, my face was out there. He knew my name. Um, he knew I was one of those people who just said yes to things. And now I'm starting the process all over and who knows all the different avenues. So my, my personal story, the, the things that I want people to take away from that is show up, say yes, and just go into things without a lot of expectations of where they're going to take you. And if you're working with good people and you're doing something you believe in, something that excites you, it's going to lead to good things. And if it doesn't lead to something miraculous, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have some good takeaways just mentally for that. You're going to figure out your strengths, like Evan said. So that was just kind of my personal story of show up, say yes. And they, then when the opportunity presents itself, you're in the position exactly. to take advantage yeah, of it. Yeah. Right? Awesome Inc. talks about that a lot. They call it the luck surface area. So on one axis, you've got the number of people that you know. On the other axis, you've got the number of things you're involved in, the way you're getting your name out there. And, you know, the more people you know, the more things you do, you're going to have that really large luck surface area. They preach that a lot. And I think that's... And that's I think Keith McMunn's... Uh, that's Keith McMunn's thing. Yeah, give him the shout out. Give him the credit for that. It's, you know, popular. It's, it's popularity is by how many other things are linking to you. So it's the very same thing about what Keith talks about, about the number of people you know. And if they've got positive things that they think or know about you or talk about you... It's no different than the way Google wrote its original page ranking algorithm. It's yeah. the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Technology often mirrors nature. Um, last question, uh, and then we'll get into some questions and answers. Um, once you get to be an entrepreneur, <clears throat> you're doing it day in and day out. What does your day look like? And one of the most common misperceptions mis mis um, or questions people ask about entrepreneurship as well, do you just work all the time or is there balance? Um, so talk about, you know, your personal life and what your day-to-day -day looks like as an entrepreneur. Um, and how do you find balance in life? Oh, so everybody's different. Yeah, everybody's so different. Is, and I think the answer to that ultimately is you got to find your own balance. So I can't remember if I was talking to you or, or somebody, uh, Evan, somebody recently, but I was describing like, you know, I came to work, I got to work this morning, I think it was 7.38 a.m., right? So I walked in the door at 7.38, and here I am, right, it's 7 o'clock, this is kind of a normal, I'm either probably already home or just getting home about this time. So I'll spend 10, I'll say 10 to no more than about 12 hours in a workday, a typical workday. And then when I go home, you know, I'm eating dinner with my wife and, you know, uh, watching news or something on TV. And I try to not do, it's not like I'm firing off emails and trying to answer, you know, it's like, okay, I get home. I've got two, three, four hours. That I'm going to spend now to kind of decompress and do something different and find that balance. So I just found, you know, where, where my own balance is. And it's like, look, you can only have it turned on so many hours a day. And I tend to, you know, I just try to find that balance. And then when I, when I leave, I, that's one of the reasons I do like, and I've continued to come to the office. I actually live next door, but 
when I walk out the door, my wife gets pissed at me because she'll, she'll tell me something when I'm there. Literally, when I walk out that door, it's almost like a switch goes off and it's like, I'm in a different world. It's like, boom, my, my brain starts going in different directions and I, I turn on and that's what I'm doing. So I don't tend to like mix a lot of like what a personal stuff. I'm not like trying to do little bits of it here and there during the day. So I kind of compartmentalize it and treat it in that way. But I think everybody's different. And, um, you know, the old saying that you want to work smarter, not fast, harder, faster, whatever, you know, the way to think about that probably holds true, but there's, you know, you can also, if you spend more time thinking about it, right, you get, you get more done, right. Or, or and, uh, so I think you just got to find that balance. I, I think the most important thing there is to figure out a rhythm that is sustainable because you're always going to have times when you're under pressure and there's a lot more to do. That's just going to be the natural rhythm of business and whatever it is that you're doing or the economy and everything that's going on. So like the last few weeks, shoulders and neck, because it's just like, you know, I think it's just physically now all the stress of what's been going on the last couple of months about the business and the market is just like, okay, it's, it's like pent up, but you got to find, you got to, you can't let yourself get physically worn down. I love school to like work 24 hours a day. It was like a cult almost students and just 24 hours a day. And at some point you figure out like, look, Hey, this isn't healthy. Uh, you also figure out like, especially being sleep deprived and all those things that that's not necessarily when your brain works the best and where the best work comes out of, of that. So I kind of learned early on, you know, where those limits of stress limits and, creative limits. And then what I've tried to do just in my own personal life is just figure out what, what am I comfortable with? How much time am I going to spend with work versus family and other things that I might be interested in doing and then try to put that on some kind of cruise control and not be, huge dramatic swings in that that way I can kind of consistently try to deliver right on what I'm trying to deliver so I think one of the important things uh to take away from what you're just saying Randall is like you know don't make don't be doing that with something that makes you miserable just from spending time around you I know that you have that passion for what you're doing and I think that when you're putting in those 12 hour days it should almost feel like it's not work you should feel like man I'm pursuing something that I'm really excited about and that energizes me and I think that's an important takeaway is if it feel, if you're miserable for 12 hours a day, but you're like, Oh, I'm putting in that grind and I'm supposed to like, that's, that's not the way it should be. You should be, you should feel energized from what you're doing. Well, I got, uh, just as an example, I got interested in the entrepreneurship because I was doing it, but I was just, once I started reading and listening to what Steve Blank, you know, started saying, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was just like, Oh my gosh, he's describing kind of all these experiences that I've had personally so I just got really interested in it. And then probably in 2009, I decided, okay, all my kind of extra give back time, right, to the community and all that stuff, I'm just going to get involved with anything that has to do with entrepreneurship and just try to, you know, relay one, what I was reading and hearing, try to parrot that back and then take my own personal experiences. Well, I just started doing that and getting involved and, you know, 
bada bing, bada boom. Now all of a sudden it's like somebody at UK is like, oh, we need somebody to teach these classes. Well, I was there, right? Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't have be doing that if I hadn't injected myself out into the community and started talking about these kinds of things. And then, you know, it wasn't like I started that because I was going to get a, I wanted to get a job being, a, you know, teaching. I, yep. I taught for years kind of in the architecture school, but, uh, but anyway, that's, I think that's an example of like, find out something you're interested in because only if you're really interested in, it are you going to put the time exactly. in and stay interested and deep dive into yep. it. Perfect. All right, Eric, take us away with some questions, buddy. Is there anything that you recommend that, that people could, uh, I, I guess, take and, and do, whether it's uh, whether it's daily or um, you know, you know, just just some some type of content uh, that that you uh, would you know have as a as a recommendation to people to maybe um, help them in their pursuit of entrepreneurship? Yeah, YouTube, right? So go, <laughs> go, you know, go look at Steve Blank interviews, go look at a guy named Vinod Kosla, Kosla Ventures was a Sun Microsystems, one of the original Sun Microsystems founders. Um, you know, Andrew, uh, Mark Andreessen, Peter Thiel, right? There's, there's all of these, what I think are the thinkers and just go start consuming those interviews and stuff that they've that they're out there and then um, um, Steve, uh, Steve Altman Altman what's uh, yeah what's Y Combinator yeah, yeah. Steve, is Steve is um, it's uh, uh, Sam no it's Sam, Sam, Altman. Sam Altman I'm sorry Steve Altman Sam Altman taught so when I started teaching the course that I teach at UK I kind of modeled it after the course. I modeled it after a course that Sam Altman taught at Stanford. So Sam used to run Y Combinator and saw hundreds of startups come through there. And then he taught a course at Stanford for once or twice and it's all available online. You can go watch the whole thing. So I kind of modeled my class at least stylistically after what he did because he had a lot of not only lectures that he would give, but then more importantly brought guests in. So I kind of, I watched, I watched that. I consumed that entire course <laughs> and it's all available. And then uh, I use that to kind of model what I ended up doing in my course. Um, and then, uh, so there's no excuse, right? There's tons of that kind of content out there and there's just lots of words of wisdom, right? That you'll hopefully take and be inspired by what these guys are talking about. Yeah. One of the best things I'm glad you said YouTube, because whenever I, I some teachers ask me to come, you know, speak to the class. Randall, I know speaking, I've spoken to your class before. And one of the things I tell them is use social media and YouTube as a great tool. You know, they're really consumption tools, but if you know how to, if you know how it works on the back end, you know, their algorithms. So with YouTube and Twitter, what I would do is um, I would follow and watch videos, like you said, in the entrepreneurship space and maybe couple the entrepreneurship space with an uh, with a, an industry or a skill I know I have. Next thing you know, YouTube will actually just start surfacing and throw in all these videos to you. Uh, and then you don't even have to search for them anymore. You know, the more you do that, it's like a feedback loop. And same with Twitter. You know, if you start engaging with certain people on Twitter and follow certain people on Twitter, it's basically just a, um, a byproduct of using those tools that you're learning constantly. Um, and so I like to describe those as, you know, feedback loops. And if you know how to tweak the algorithm and if you know that the algorithm is watching your engagement then it'll just you know speed up your consumption 
If only we all use that as mindfully as Evan Knowles. Do what? As on, if only we all use social media as mindfully as Evan Knowles. I'm just like out there looking at memes. Evan <laughs> Knowles is like, I've got to look at what I'm good at and I'm going to couple that with entrepreneurship and then I'm going to become a genius. I think, uh, I think that when you are watching and listening to that, you know, there, n- nobody's going to tell you what to do. But I, when we were talking, when you were asking earlier, can you, can you teach this or learn that? I, I do believe what you can teach is the framework for thinking about these kinds of things. So I talk with my class about like, look, I'm not, we're not, I'm not here to teach you how to start a business. I'm going to try to get you to think about a process that you can go through when you've got a problem that you're trying to solve or, you know, that there's something out there, a process that you can run through that's going to hopefully get you to the best end result. And I think when you go listen to what all, all those people were talking about, that's the takeaway from all that is like, they're not going to prescribe and tell you, you should go, uh, you know, do this or do that. But what they're talking about is a mindset and a process to run through. That's going to give you the likelihood of being successful at these kinds of things, as opposed to a prescriptive, you know, answer to things. Is it better to start off researching for months or research for a little bit and just go for it? Uh, you definitely don't want to hold up for months. You want to take, you, you want to have enough of a kernel of an idea that you can go have a contest your theory, right? So I, I call it the germ of the idea. It's like you got to figure out what it is you think that you're onto or thinking about, and then you got to figure out how, who is a potential customer and can I go test that? Testing it can be just a conversation. It doesn't, it's not like you had to build something or build a protein. Uh, it's like, I'll, I'll take a PowerPoint deck out and go test the ideas, right? with ever written a line of code, right? And it's like, am I thinking in the right direction? Am I, and so I'm always, I'm always, uh, I call it storytelling. I'm always out having those conversations and seeing if what I'm talking about is resonating with somebody who I think is going to be the customer on the other side. And it's through those conversations and you got, and it's not just one, like hundreds of them, <laughs> maybe thousands of them. Mm-hmm and come to a likely person. So it's like you you think you kind of know the direction, but then you go enough of these stations and all says something, you're like, oh, wait a I hadn't even thought it like that. And it shoots you off in a little And that's how you grow. And that, that's why you got to go expose your thoughts and ideas to people who don't really care about your feelings. It's like, they'll tell you yeah. that, that it's a dumb idea. It's like, okay, thanks for the feedback. I'm going to take that along with the feedback I get from all these other people. And I'm going to decide if that really is a bad idea, or maybe there's a kernel of something in here that, you know, could grow. Yeah. I want to add a little uh, side story to that, that question too. And then we'll get onto this next question, but I think experience is the best teacher. And just to kind of uh, add that into, into this answer. So when we first started using these mics that we're using right now, uh, this was after Nate Antetomaso, who was like our detail-oriented guy for Middle Tech. He moved to Chicago. and He was one of my students. He was in yeah. my class. 
Exactly. Yeah. And he was great at, at helping set up the audio and everything for us. But after he left, it kind of just got thrown on me and I had no idea how to do audio shit. So <laughs> I just uh, started using these mics and you can literally go back and listen to one of our episodes. I set it up wrong and we recorded the entire episode from a laptop's microphone. And you know how many people said something to me about it? Zero. Because it's just like one of those things, you know, if you're iterating and learning, people are going to be forgiving of it. You know, they're they're going to recognize where you get to eventually, not, okay, well, he made a mistake right there. So, you know, don't be afraid to mess up because not nearly as many people as you think are going to call you out on it or embarrass you for it or anything like that. All right. We'll go to the next question after that. Okay, cool. Uh, so the next question is kind of similar to the the first one, but it says, I've been listening to podcasts about real estate entrepreneurship. How do I know when I'm ready? Because I feel like I will never be truly ready. Um, yeah, you never will be ready. You just have to, you have to leap. Yeah. <laughs> At some point it's like, okay, I'm going to go do this and it might not work the first time I do it or the second time or the 10th time I do it. It's like, that's where, you know, and there's a fine, it's, I like to think that it's, it's part science and part art. You go do it and knowing when to stop and try something else is the art. Nobody can tell you when you should stop or when the next one is going to be the breakthrough. That's all, you know, call it your gut or whatever, or, you know, maybe you're just naive and dumb enough to keep doing it over and over enough until you actually break through. But, you know, I think there really is something to, the fortitude, you know, the, the victory belongs to those who have enough fortitude or thick skull, you know, thick skin, thick skull, whatever to like keep pushing it until they've separated themselves from everybody else. So I think, you know, my advice there would be don't, nobody has a customer because they didn't interact with the potential customer. So the lesson is quit thinking about it and go start interacting with who you think that the eventual customer is going to be. Cause the only, they have the only true vote of whether that, that whatever it is that you're wanting or thinking about doing is going to be successful. So if you're in real estate and you're going to be a real estate, you know, selling real estate, you got to go out and, you know, maybe you're going to shadow somebody else that's really good at it and try to learn from them and what makes them good at what they do maybe you're going to be really bad at it and go just start doing it and have a tough time because you can't seem to sell a house. Uh, but through those interactions, you're going to figure out like, ah, you know, there'll, there'll be some like eureka moment maybe that's like, ah, I, I kind of see, right. Uh, a glimmer and maybe the eureka moment is in hindsight, it'll be really fuzzy while you're doing it. And then after you've kind of cracked the code and figured out what can make you successful at doing it, you'll be able to be like me and tell some backcast story that says, Oh, I kind of cracked the code, right? It was a, it was a eureka moment. Well, it was probably a hundred times trying to sell a house and didn't get them sold. Right. hundred times it didn't work. They finally got me to understanding through those interactions, what maybe would work. So, yeah. Yeah. And real quick, whoever asked that question, if you want to reach out, you know, to myself or Randall, um, I, I own investment properties and I was in that same boat. Um, I knew I wanted to get into real estate and, um, what I did was I took a few months, maybe four or five, and I read as many books as I could. And I did what you did, which was listen to as many podcasts as I could. Next thing I did was Randall, you mentioned it. I found a home inspector in Lexington, 
reached out to him and said, listen, I want to get in the real estate space. I want to watch you inspect a home. So when I, when I want to buy one, I know what to look for. And I shadowed him on three home inspections. And then what I did was I went to a couple of friends and I said, are you guys interested in real estate? I know I am. I'm probably going to get into it if you want to get into it as well and share some risk with me. Let's do it. Um, and that's what happened was um, I did those kind of three things. I studied, I shadowed, and then I found some friends that were also interested and shared the risk with them. And it was easier to leap that way. Um, and then we started buying properties. Um, so whoever asked that, if you want to you know, reach out and uh, talk a bit more, um, I'm happy to talk to you about that. I don't know if the question was particularly about you know, owning rental rentals or a real estate investment or trying to start a real estate software. Either way, I'd you know, love to chat. Yeah, I think Evan's kind of hit on this a couple of times. Um, but just the purpose of why we do Middle Tech Podcast is to interact with people, people who are on this call. If you have questions about this stuff or you want to talk about this stuff, this is what we love doing. We literally record ourselves talking about this stuff. So reach out to us uh, if you have any questions or want to continue these kind of conversations. I mean, that's how I got involved with Evan in the first place. You'll, you'd be amazed at where it can take you.